0: Welcome to the show. So whether you're leading
1: a small group or a large group, and whether you are a parent or not a parent, I think we can all admit that the modern work demands are creating huge challenges for everybody, particularly in their their caretaking responsibilities outside of work, whether that's for parenting or for any other kind of caretaking. Now, far too often, we talk about these challenges as the challenge of being a working mother. However, I was with a group of senior leaders and a senior male client in front of a room of women when asked about what it's like to be, what he thought about being a working mother. His response was, it's not a woman's issue, it's a parent issue. So today, we're going to talk about the biases we have around fatherhood and career. And I want to break open those myths. I want to talk about the culture. I want to talk about alliances. And I want to talk about how managers can help and what kind of policies are going to make a difference. I have to say, I personally care about this one because I think this is a big issue for all of us to get on top of. And even if you don't have kids, you're leading people who do have kids. So being attuned to that is going to help you in the end of the day. So, my guest today is Josh Leves. Josh is an entrepreneur, a former CNN and NPR journalist, and he's the leading global expert on modern modern fathers in the workplace. He's the author of an award-winning book, All In, How Our Work-First Culture Fails Dads, Families, and Businesses, and How We Can Fix It Together. The United Nations named him a global champion of gender equality. The Financial Times named him one of the world's top 10 male feminists. He's testified in Congress, and he's a leading business consultant and keynote speaker. And his TEDx talk talks about his own story of overcoming some insurmountable obstacles and getting the rewards for it. Um, So and he's we'll hear the story in just a minute, but Josh stepped into the global spotlight by taking legal action against Time Warner, which was CNN's parent company for their unfair parental leave so that he could care for his premature daughter and sick wife Um, and succeeded with that, I might add. So, Josh, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
1: I'm delighted to do this one. So I always like to start at the beginning to say to people, why does this topic matter to you? What's the journey that you're on? But in your particular case, it was a particular story. So tell us just a little bit about what happened and why you decided to take on Time Warner.
2: Sure. Yeah. So I was um, on uh, CNN, you know, on air and online. I was doing all this fact-checking and fact-checking politicians and pundits. And that's when I, at the same time, was becoming a dad and had kids and um I started to do some reporting on fathers and families and discovered that there are all these myths uh, about that. So I was covering dads and families on the air. And that's when there was this big switcheroo where suddenly I was the dad in the news. Um, And the story there was that when my wife was pregnant with our third child, we realized that I would be needed at home to do caregiving after our uh, child was born. And... I was already reporting about the fact that this is normal. Dads do caregiving too. <laughs> Unfortunately, the, um, the policies that are in place all over the country um, are very often tilted to make it much harder for men to be caregivers. And what I was under at CNN, which was part of Time Warner, um, was totally nonsensical and yet sadly typical. Under those policies, anyone could get 10 paid weeks after having a kid, except a guy who got his wife pregnant. Anyone except a dad in a traditional scenario could get 10 paid weeks. So the short version is that when I discovered this, I, I went to the I found out the protocol, I went to the company in secret and I said, hey, can we address this? They asked me to put it in writing and uh, said they would look into it and months went by with no answer and i was told it went all the way to the top that all the branches of of time Warner were weighing in on it and then my daughter was born prematurely in an emergency and i still couldn't get an answer even from the hospital a guy like me could only get two weeks so after about two weeks i asked work am i coming back now or am i getting the 10 weeks and that's when they said no i i could not have the 10 paid weeks um so i ended up taking legal action And it got a ton of attention. And later on, CNN, Time Warner made the choice to revolutionize their policies, making it better for men and women. So, you know what? Change can happen.
1: Right. Thank heavens. I believe that. I think that's a good thing. We need to make some changes here. Um, Josh, you know, there's a lot when we talk about um, gender or equality, we often compare to ourselves to the Nordic countries, for a host of reasons. You know, one, they piloted having 50% of women on the boards and a variety of other such practices. But one of the things that I have seen about those cultures is that the fathers are much more involved in caretaking. So if you were to walk down the streets of, let's say, Stockholm, it would not be uncommon to see dads collecting together to pick kids up at school. That's still an atypical phenomenon, let's say in the US or in the UK or in many parts of Europe. Is that your experiences of the well that the Nordics are headed on this one in terms of a mindset?
2: They are. And the biggest reason is that they implemented something called that's what we're going to refer to as daddy quotas. Um, so it's important to understand the big picture here all over the world when paternity leave is available it's usually a matter of the family choosing whether the woman takes the time or the man takes the time and because of stigmas against men as caregivers um and and all of these pressures including financial pressures the vast majority of the time when it's optional like that the women take the time and the men don't Um, because men have been punished fired demoted for daring to take maternity leave. What the Nordic countries did was something different. They came up with these blocks of time that are substantial, like three months long, that is use-it-or-lose-it-time for dads. So there is time for moms, and there's also use-it-or-lose-it-time for dads. You cannot transfer it to the mom. And It reversed the stigmas because there you look like an idiot if you don't take it. Who's going to turn down three months of paid leave to care for their kid? And as a result, dad started taking the time off doing caregiving. And now the next generations have grown up seeing moms and dads as potential equal caregivers and and equal in the workforce. So it's not like they have, you know, achieved perfection. There are still some challenges there, but they are light years ahead of us because they made a policy that tackled the stigmas.
1: Well, because it's so common there, one of the phenomena I find interesting in watching those countries Is that it's not the dad standing around the schoolyard with a bunch of moms and awkwardly going, okay, how do I fit in here and this is weird and everybody making not fun jokes about it accordingly or whatever they say, but it's dads also there. So you have a friend That you can walk to the school with to pick up the kids and come back home with and stand around with. It doesn't feel quite as isolating because it's become more normal. So I think there's something to that one as well. You know, our comfort level makes a difference. So, so
2: important. Absolutely. In fact, you know, we have a cultural uh, fear of men as caregivers, which we need to address. And it, every dad in my book, <laughs> they, all of us, we've all had experiences in which we are the one dad at the playground and the moms kind of close off their circle because they're like, why is a man here? Or, you know, this one guy went to pick up his kid at school and someone called the school saying there was a pedophile like, oh, Meaning every dad has this story and in cultures in which you get used to seeing men as caregivers, um, you're much less likely to isolate them and find them scary and instead you normalize them, which is what we need to do for equality to be achieved.
1: Right. So you mentioned fear. So one of the fears is that the dad is going to get isolated or um, co- reported to the police or something version of that one. Are there other fears that dads have that we need to be aware of?
2: Um, so that's the thing that really happened. It's other people being afraid of men is what I was referring to. Right. Uh, like, yes, men. Um, so Men, very many men are aware of specific things that have happened. So, for example, there is a guy in my book who uh, took paternity leave to care for his uh, wife who had become very sick and mentally ill while pregnant and their new child. Um, and he had been a rock star at work. But when he went back to work, they demoted him and ended up firing him. because. And they admitted in the deposition they had traditional views of men. Um, and there are all kinds of cases like that. So there is a legitimate fear of taking leave or of um, seeking a flexible schedule to do caregiving because you do can get punished in the workplace by people who believe that men should not be home or that men aren't really doing anything at home, that it's all just a big joke. So there's that kind of fear. Um, And yes, there there are other fears as well, including, you know, the concerns that you bring up, this idea that if you are doing this caregiving, you could end up feeling isolated. This is why there are terrific groups like the City Dad groups now that get groups of men, including full-time at-home men, um, together or during the pandemic, together virtually for supportive activities in which they have fun together. And and it's a sign of community. And um, that has been really instrumental in helping change the
1: culture. That's great. Those are all fabulous ideas. Um, A few years ago, more than five, I did a piece of research with a company. And we did an analysis, we did uh, focus groups with men and with women at the same levels, all high potentials, uh, sort of pretty much match sets, if you will. And one of the things we were asking was about uh, family duties, family responsibilities, time outside of work. And we were asking women what they wanted, what they wish they had. And because we were doing parallel, we asked the men what they wanted, what they wish we'd had. And coming out of that data, a substantial number of people, it was uniformly reported from the men that they wished they could have the time off, mm-hmm. that they would take a more flexible schedule if they felt that it wasn't going to penalize, be penalizing their career. And they were, you know, like 80% certain that they would get penalized for it. So therefore, they weren't going to take it. Yeah. And I think that's the phenomenon you're talking about right here.
2: Yeah. In fact, we have some research now. I, um I partner with a brand dubbed men plus care, and we've done research around this. Uh, and there's some, an international survey we did that found that 85% of men said they would do anything to have more time at home, be more involved at home. Um, but when asked what's preventing men from doing this, both women and men give the same answers. There's the attitudes of colleagues and, and bosses. Um, and there's also the financial concerns. You know, there there is still a wage gap, and um, men are likely to make more money, and families can't afford to lose the higher salary, so there's a, the financial concern as well. Um, but yes, you see this all the time. In fact, EY, Ernst & Young, found that in the United States, men are even more likely than women to switch jobs or careers, or move to a different state, or take a pay cut, or move to a different country, um, all to have more time with their families. But what I have found consistently is that men are less likely to tell our bosses that that's why we're switching jobs, that's why we're leaving the company. So this is costing companies a lot of money because they're losing not just great women, when men can't be caregivers, women are much more likely to drop out of the workforce because they can't split that with their husbands. Um, But also men are dropping out of their jobs and taking new jobs at places that do support them as fathers. And I go over this in all my talks and consulting, but the the cost of replacing an employee is extremely expensive. So give them the flexibility they need is actually a way of saving money. Um, So yes, it doesn't surprise me at all, and and your research backs that up too, that men are looking for this. Unfortunately, it's more in the shadows. It's more of a secret. Very few people realize that men are looking for this as well. Right.
1: All right. Now, I want to tackle a a little more controversial topic than I typically do on my podcast, but I'm still going to go for it. I find some of the barriers to men being more involved caregivers actually comes from the wives and mothers, Uh where as women, we will define so much of our identity around being a mother and being the one that the kids go to all the time. And we're not quite as comfortable in turning over some of those responsibilities to dads or not as comfortable turning over to dads to do it dad's way as opposed to mom's way. Now, is that just my experience or do you see that as well?
2: Oh, that's absolutely the case. Um, I have a chapter in my book about, um, I call it, Male Privilege and Female Gatekeeping. And these are things that we can all fall into because of the way that we're raised. Um, You know, a lot of us were raised in that culture that that suggests that dads are incapable or lazy or clueless about kids. Um, So there you can fall into a mindset as a man in which you can say, well, you change the diaper. That's more your thing. Um, But just as big a problem is female gatekeeping. That's when women say, to the husband, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. You're changing the baby wrong. You're going to break the baby. No, don't do it. Um, and often, sometimes it's the wife, but often it's the wife's mom, the mother-in-law mm-hmm. who, come, who grew up in a generation in which men weren't expected to do these things. And the mother-in-law comes along and says, no, 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 you're going to do it all wrong. Let me take care of this. I got this. And men are made to feel irrelevant. And you kind of got to insert yourself and say, no, 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 I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of it. Right. Right. Um, and some of it, I you know, look a baby grows for nine months or more inside the mom. So of course, you know, in these biological cases, of course, she's going to feel a protectiveness that there's mm-hmm. something that she needs to do. Um, but it's after the birth, especially that that's the time that we as dads can say, no, 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 it's both of us now. We got this together. And aside from breastfeeding, men can do everything, and lots of women pump, and lots of right, families right. use formula. So we have to, yes, we do have to push against gatekeeping in order to uh make equality happen
1: i have um I have a couple stories on this one that I tell often to audiences, but I'm gonna give you one of them because I just think it's funny and it's so relevant here for this gatekeeping idea senior woman, three kids at home um middle school ish age, so you know eight and up one of them a boy, and, you know, as typical of kids that age, they're constantly leaving something at home. So she and her husband have agreed that he will take the morning routine and he'll make sure that the kids are off to school with all the appropriate belongings that they need for the day. She's at work for the day. First day in this arrangement, school calls her and says, do you know what your son was wearing this morning? Her response is, uh, apparently it's fairly cold and he doesn't have a jacket. So, of course, she leaves work, runs home, gets the jacket, takes it to school, calls her husband, and just reams him out. You were supposed to do this, blah, 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 blah. And he says, hold on a minute. I told him three times to get his jacket. He won't forget it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So a very different approach, as in let the kid kind of suffer the consequences for what he wasn't doing as he should have been done, and he won't die, and it will be okay, and it will be easier tomorrow. Whereas her approach was to be protective, both valid, very different. Yeah. And if that conversation isn't happening, then it's way too easy to attribute that dads can't do the job when, in fact, maybe they just do it a little differently.
2: You're exactly right. In fact, when I was the uh, the resident dad on this TV show we had on HLN, um, my segments were called "Dads Do It Differently," and you know, look, I mean, this this infinite diversity right like sometimes you'll find a mom with a certain style or a dad with a certain yep. style but uh more often than not you do find um and there's research around this too absolutely yeah men do that in fact I've, i literally have that happen with my son who often refuses to uh to put on a jacket and then he gets cold when when we're there and i say hey you know learn your lesson i no you can't have my coat i told i told you to <laughs> Um, So, yes, I do recognize that that can happen. And the idea that, like, you know, she didn't want to instead pause and think, well, maybe I should ask um, that you know, could be fueled by anyone having a busy day, but it can also be fueled by this assumption that men don't know what we're doing as caregivers.
1: Right. Okay. So we've danced around this in terms of the myths and you talk a lot about the myths. So we've talked about the the fact that we fear men as caregivers. We've talked about women as gatekeepers. What are the other kind of myths out there that we need to be attuned to?
0: Well, the
2: biggest one is that um, men are lazy and uninvolved at home, that um, we come home and kick up our feet and watch sports and and wait while our wives do everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is fueled, unfortunately, often by mainstream media, too, that um, don't read data right. You know, uh, part of what my background is and what made me very unusual in journalism is that. I learned how to dig into raw data and methodologies and see what surveys actually show instead of just Mm -hmm. what a news release about a survey claims. So um, men and women put in equal hours on behalf of our families. There's extensive time use data um, from the American Time Use Survey. And there's similar data around the world that looks into how time is used. And this idea that men are getting more relaxation time or leisure time is just false. Uh, There are three forms of work. There's there's paid work, unpaid work, and childcare. And when you put those three things together, men and women are doing equal amounts. Um, The difference is that women are doing more of it at home and men are doing more of it at work. And sometimes people try to um, push this idea of the lazy man by saying, even when men and women both work full time, the mom does still so much more at home. Uh, But that's a failure to understand the data. So working full time means working 35 hours for pay um so there are lots of cases in which you have a man working 55 hours for pay and a woman working 35 hours for pay and those difference of 20 hours she's not relaxing she's home doing a lot of unpaid work and childcare. um so yes they're both working quote-unquote full-time and yes technically more of her hours are at home but that doesn't mean that he's sitting around doing nothing so statistically there's no block of time in which men are sitting around um you know relaxing and the, and women aren't. And this this is very important because what I keep finding through research is that bosses believe the stereotype. They genuinely believe if you let a man take paternity leave, then he will go home and do nothing. So it's just a crock. So keep him at the office and make him keep working. Women, they're needed at home, but men not so much. So it fuels that, that kind of um, backward system. And there are other uh, as well. One of the big things that I've been talking about over the past year is the myth about black fathers. Uh, the myth that black fathers are are um, absent in uh, the majority of black fathers by far the majority of black fathers live with their children and they are on average the most involved so um you know so many of the stereotypes that people hear are just false and I break them all down in my website joshlebs.com you can just click on dad facts and you'll see all the data
1: That's interesting. Uh, That one catches me surprise, surprise, because the media is certainly full of the myth that black fathers are less likely to be living with their kids. And it's interesting that you say the majority live with their kids. Um, and I agree with you. We don't look at the way the data was collected, the validity of the sample size, and the actual conclusions that came out of it. We often just hear the headlines, so we don't know what the real data says underneath, because that takes more time, I guess I would argue. So yeah. Good for you.
2: Well, thank you. But also, unfortunately, it's not part of the journalistic process, and it should be. You know, news agencies simply see an announcement from Any agent, any organization that sounds official (laughs) and they say, well, this study found blah, 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 but they don't, they're not trained uh, or knowledgeable enough to go and find out about the sample sizes and the information. So, you know, I'm constantly contacting news agencies to point out bad data that they have about Dads. And fortunately, the good ones run, run corrections.
1: Oh, that's good. That's really good to hear. So, that means we do need to read that small type at the bottom that says, here's a correction from last week or yesterday or whatever the case is. Yes. All right. So, let's take this in the realm of managers, Um, whether it's a small team or a big team, whether you run the organization, whether you're just a part of the management structure. Without, you know, we've said so many times on this podcast, especially in the last year, that as a manager, if you're not showing that you care about the whole person, then you're not going to get the best out of that employee. You're not going to get loyalty. You're not going to get engagement or inspiration or creativity or any of the stuff that you would like to have, that you have to care about more than just the output that somebody produces for you. So clearly that's the case. I'm assuming that parenthood, whether it's for women or for uh, men, is kind of no different. So what should managers be thinking about and doing in this context, particularly for dads?
2: Hmm. So the first thing to understand is that all of the workplace options that exist for flexibility and leave should be treated um, in a gender equal way. Um, In fact, after my legal case, the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, sent out guidance to all businesses saying that um, when it comes to leave after a birth, certainly women get time officially for physical recovery, but that time to care for a child, caregiving leave has to be clearly distinguished from physical recovery leave, and caregiving leave has to be gender neutral. And managers need to understand that they actually benefit from encouraging men to take that leave. This is a big jump that they don't understand. You know, a lot of managers assume, hey, work is better when I have my employees around. So if they insist on taking the leave available, fine. But uh, And often they they even say, no, just don't take it. Um, But the irony is that they actually do better. Uh, businesses do better when they encourage men to take the leave, because when you take that leave, you spend, uh, your time focused at home doing the caregiving and you come back more refreshed and focused, and you are much more likely to stay with the business long term. So this is one company in my book, they have a small business, less than 20 employees, and they decided to give them all a few months. Uh, for caregiving leave. And um, I asked why. And they said in the long run, it saves them money. In the long run, it prevents them from having to go find new employees. So managers need to have that kind of relationship to the flexibility, to the leave, to make sure that men and women feel comfortable taking it. But the number one thing that I always tell businesses uh, is communication to start communicating, openly communicate about these issues. Don't be afraid. A lot of people are afraid to talk about it and they shouldn't have to be afraid to talk about it. They should be able to have conversations in which they say, Hey, we can't, um, you know, we're not, we're not some giant company that can, offer to pay you for months and months while you're off. But what can we do? What can we work out that will be good for you? Can we help you find subsidized childcare? Can we give you a flexible schedule? What would work? And so many people have told me that if their managers would have a conversation like that with them, it would have revolutionized their experience at work.
1: I, Josh, it's no different on the mother side, the female side. I can't tell you how many women I see every year, hundreds of them every year, who tell me this horrendous story about you know great policy, great exit from maternity leave, lots of time. It was all fabulous. And they come back and feel like nobody cares or has noticed how difficult it was. And if the manager would just stop and say, how's it going? what would help you, then they, you know, their attention and dedication and willingness to say that company would go on dramatically. And instead, what it is is it's just an excuse to go look for another job. You That's just right. don't feel cared for. And I can imagine with dads it would be the same way.
2: Oh yeah. And you know, women share these stories with me as well. I remember I gave this speech in um Wisconsin and the woman, this woman who was driving me to the airport, she told me her story and she said that that her office wouldn't have a conversation with her about this stuff at all. And so she ended up leaving and creating her own business that competes with her former business. And they, she managed to steal a lot of business from them. You know, if they had just had that conversation with her, they would have been better off. She wouldn't have gone through that hassle. Um, People are, you know, look, the managers are obviously busy. Um, But this idea that, um, that, People are afraid to have these conversations because they think they're not supposed to or because they don't want to say something offensive. Like All of that is ridiculous. Openly communicating with employees about what they need and what works for them and what works for you and finding that middle ground. That is one of the best, smartest things you can do to run a business well.
1: Okay, great. Well, I certainly speak to lots of managers, male and female managers, by the way, um, who, you know, the stress is high, the workload is ridiculously uh, understaffed for just about everybody everywhere. And having somebody be out puts a heavy burden on the entire team. So I understand a lot of managers want to discourage people being out not because they're trying to discourage parenting or any of those sort of important life events, but they're just worried about how to handle the workload. And I think that mental framework gets in their way. And as you're saying then Josh and the data will back this up is that what they're doing is focus on the short-term pain. Versus the long term gain of keeping that employee engaged and productive and staying with the business for longer than the six months it takes to come back and then find another job.
2: That's so well said. Oh, I love how you said that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to quote you on that. That's a perfect way to put it. And to emphasize, this is about everyone, like whether you have kids or not. um, You know, what I support is paid family leave, and that's for anyone to care for a family member who needs caregiving, a child at any age, an elderly parent, you know, a spouse sick, especially now with COVID. I mean, everyone at some point will use paid family leave because it it also includes leave to recover yourself after an illness. Um, So this is something that everyone can stand for and everyone can support. And when we have it, uh, businesses do better. So yes, that's exactly, you're exactly right. It's about, Putting the long-term gain ahead of any short-term pain that comes from someone being out.
1: Great. All right. Fabulous. All right, Josh, I know there's more to say about this, about what managers can do, but this is a perfect point to take a break, and then we'll come back to talk about what managers shouldn't be doing. As well as any other advice and then talk about some policies that we're seeing are making a difference. My guest today is Josh Loves. As I've said, he's an entrepreneur, a former CNN and NBR journalist, as you've heard, and now a global expert on modern, modern fathers in the workplace. The book All In how our work-first culture fails dads, families, and businesses, and how we fix it together. And as you've just heard, there's a lot of information on his website, com. and we'll be right back.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voiceamerica.
1: group and talk about career advancement and we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on out of the comfort zone.com we hope you'll join us
0: if you want more information on the articles books coaching and seminars we offer go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com you're sure to find some helpful links videos and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization leadership forum helping organizations get it and keep it.
1: This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight.
0: If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it.
1: With me today is Josh Leves. Josh is the author of a fabulous book, All In, How Our Workforce Culture Fails Dads, Families, and Businesses, and How We Fix It Together. And the point is that we've got lots of myths about dads. Um, They seem weird. We're not used to seeing them. And so we get suspicious of seeing the only dad on the playground, Or we fear at work as a manager that if I send a dad home for parental leave or any other kind of family care give, then they're going to be sitting around and not actually do anything. And we have myths that fathers are not putting as many hours in in the kind of work that gets done in life, meaning paid, unpaid, and caring work. The data doesn't support that and hasn't supported that for a number of years. And we've also talked about the fact that sometimes women are gatekeepers who discourage fathers from taking a more active role. The mother as well as various other figures in the family can contribute to those kind of myths as well. We talked about the fact that companies that will provide equal opportunity, equal leave opportunity for family issues, whether you have children or not children, are the ones that are going to do better at the end because you are buying loyalty and long-term commitment and investment and engagement and inspiration and all of that good stuff that makes people dig a little bit deeper to help a company do a little bit better. You get that, For providing great leave policies for both men and women, as opposed to the short-term pain of having people be out of the office for a little bit. So let's see the long run here. So we talked a little bit about that. And from the manager perspective, Josh, do you have other advice for managers on how to deal with this whole family caring problem?
2: Absolutely. So one piece is that often the problems come from the best intentions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always tell people the sexist structure of the workplace, the mad men structures that push women to stay home and push women to stay at work. They come from two things. One is a history of sexist thinking that we all inherited. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. something that we created in this generation. Um, uh, but the second thing is good intentions. And I see that happen all the time. There are bosses mm-hmm. who will, uh, let's say a boss has a man and a woman who work for him and each of the man and the woman have, have a kid. Um, and that manager might look at them and say to the woman, well, you know what? He'll stay late. Do your family needs you at home. Go ahead. You go home. He'll stay late. Uh, these expectations that uh, that you should make sure to give women flexibility, give women the chance to go home because really the family needs them and make the guys stay late. And they think, these managers often think that that will help women want to stay at the company. Um, but what it really does is give that work opportunity to the guy. And then when the next promotion or raise comes along, it goes to the person who did that project. Yeah. So, you often see that and you see men left out of the conversation. You know, I, I do a lot of work with energy companies in Houston and the chief executive of one of these companies said to me, or one of the top executives said to me, um, he said, we've been trying to increase our numbers of, of women and women in leadership. And uh, you know, we even have paid maternity leave and, and that's not doing the trick. And I said, Oh, that's interesting. Do you have paternity leave? Uh, and he said, no, 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 we're talking about women. And so, You know, it's never occurred to them to address this other half, to address this other side of it. So even people with the best intentions don't realize what they're doing. Um, So what I say is that um, anytime you make assumptions about only one gender wanting or needing something, you're actually feeding the problem instead of the solution.
1: Mm, Great. That's a powerful one. So assumptions about one gender is feeding the problem. Great. I have certainly talked to, well, I'm thinking of one particular CEO in particular, but I've heard this on more than one occasion. And I often find in getting CEOs to think about what the company is doing, the culture and how to foster a better inclusive culture, I get them to talk about their daughters and what their daughters feel like in joining the company. Until I encountered this CEO and he said, I wouldn't want my daughters to work. I'm not sure I want that kind of lifestyle for them. And I thought, oh my goodness, I wonder what your daughters think about that. I wonder what your daughter, right? but it's that it, it really did for him come from a very good intention place of providing a great lifestyle for his daughters. Interesting challenge. Okay. So well, are there,
2: how you think of what work even is. I mean, yeah. you know, if you think of work as like drudgery, then I get why you wouldn't want another human being to experience that, but. Work should be contributing in a positive way. <laughs> Why would you not want your daughters to do that?
1: Right. Yeah, it's so much a part of identity and part of our sense of satisfaction. Why not? Um, you know,
2: the world works, yeah. and you know yeah. the world isn't here to serve them. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. Yeah. and there's, there's work at home. There's, there's all kinds of different work, but the idea of not wanting them to work that just doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah. It was an interesting moment. I stopped using that as an analogy, though, from that point forward and decided, never mind, we're taking this out of the parent, out of the daughter realm and into a different realm. Okay, are there ways to tackle, I mean, you said anytime we're um, furthering assumptions about any one gender, then we're part of the problem. Are there ways to tackle our bias here Have you found anything that's helpful?
2: Yeah, and this is part of what I work on in workshops with companies. Um, This is a form of bias, a type of bias that a lot of people have no consciousness of. So whether it's implicit or explicit, um, it is able to thrive. Uh, Instances in which men and women um, operate with uh, negative assumptions about men this way. I mean, look, there's this one guy in my book who got, uh, his wife was 38 weeks pregnant and there was an emergency and... And he had, he was crying at work when he got this call. They thought the baby might not make it. And he ran off to be with her. Everything worked out fine. Baby was born. His wife's fine. This was the middle of the week. He came back to work on Monday, but his boss called him in and rebuked him saying, how dare you take off so much time? Don't you know you're needed around here? And that boss was a pregnant woman, Mm -hmm. uh, which, um, Did not surprise some of the women attorneys that I talked to about this, because anyone can have these biases, including (laughs) women who have learned the same things about men and women. So what I talk about is ways that we all need to spot, observe, and speak out when this kind of bias rears his ugly head. So anytime someone rolls their eyes about a man being out taking care of his kid, anytime a boss says, why do you need to go take care of your kid? Can't your wife do it? Isn't your wife responsible for this? Um, anytime you see it show up in other ways, there's, a, there are, um, two dad couples in my book as well. They're same-sex couples. And these dads have told me that this is the one form of bigotry that they don't face, that, that they've had bosses who say to them, oh, right, you don't have a wife. You do need to go take care of your kid. Uh, anytime you see that, to speak up, to say something. Um, because by far, you know, no matter what we do in policies, the biggest force is the culture. Uh, so we need to address this idea by, if you see something, say something. We need people to know what their legal rights are so that they can take legal action, if necessary, the way that I did. It can make a huge difference. And men are starting to launch more cases about this. And that's really good news. And we need to understand that a large part of culture in an organization is top-down. And people will only do as much as the big boss does. So we need leaders to talk about the fact that they are struggling with caregiving issues, that they are working on this, that they are um, taking their own time off or seeking their own flexible schedule or going out for a few hours to take their kid to the doctor. I spoke at this one financial, major financial agency in the U.S. And this happens all the time. But after I spoke, this one top executive announced that he and his wife have a child with um, who's on the on the autism spectrum and has to see specialists twice a week and his wife works full time and they've been wrestling with how to deal with this for years. And afterwards, women who have worked with this guy for 12 years told me they had no idea about any of this because guys don't talk about it. So the other way to counteract this bias, and this is what I got into in, to in my, my recent TEDx talk, is that we have to be willing to start these conversations with each other, communicate with each other. Men are scared to talk about this at work because they're convinced that they will unintentionally say something offensive or that, that a woman will say to them, you man in a patriarchy, who are you to complain about work-life balance? But therefore it remains in the shadows. So I say to women, speak to the guys around you about how they're having these challenges. And I say to men, speak to the women. around. Everyone have these conversations. Be unafraid to talk about it. The only way to counteract that bias is to bring it out into the spotlight and realize that it exists.
1: So that's a really important point is to, I mean, even if you just talk to your colleagues that are sitting right around you about what you're seeing, what you're observing, how they're handling it, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, that's a safe place to start. But I think this is also important for leaders to talk about the need. We often talk about vulnerability, about being, putting that little bit of yourself out that builds trust and you know inspiration and a whole bunch of other things. But for leaders to be willing to talk about their demands outside of work um, just a bit, and I find it interesting, why is it that male leaders are so hesitant to speak about that? I'll give you an example. I have a CEO that I know very well who has a child at home with a disability and doesn't want to talk about it. Now, I get you don't want to label that child to any rate, but doesn't want to admit that that takes extra family time and extra attention from him. Mm-hmm. Why is it we're so hesitant to speak?
2: Because we have a bad cultural idea of what a good worker is and looks like. Mm-hmm. We have made the mistake of thinking that the best workers are the people who are at their desk, or if it's a different kind of work site, you know, mine, whatever it is, who are who are at work all the time. Mm-hmm. We operate on the assumption That especially white-collar work, that um, working around the clock makes you the most deserving of a promotion, makes you the best. Uh, And people don't want to lose the track that they're on. And what I found statistically is that the very few men who do not put their families first, who do not prioritize family time over work, they um, are the leaders of the companies. And they look for the very few men who are like them, who are going to sit at their office all the time, who are going to be at their desk all the time, and they raise them up the ranks thinking that they must be the best. And that sliver of men who do not represent the norm um, end up being the culture keepers and setting the policies. So that's a vicious cycle. And so what I do with companies often is I'll, I'll have them stop thinking about, work that way and start thinking about work as something that you achieve not how many hours are at your are you at your desk but what's your productivity so i say look at your employees what they accomplish over any metric you want a month a quarter a year whatever works for you then see who those people are that did the most and you will find that almost always they are not the people who are at their desks all the time very often they are the people who also have caregiving in their lives because that Makes us really good multitaskers and, and really good at organization. So um, when you start thinking about great employees as being people who do achieve certain things instead of people who are at their desks all the time, then you start to change that culture. Until that happens, of course, this guy won't want to talk about it because he will be afraid that he will then be seen as someone less worthy of becoming CEO or CEO of another company or whatever is next on his list.
1: It's interesting. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope we're in a world where we will start to look at um, achievement uh, and significance of that achievement, not just sheer volume. I've been saying to people lately, if you were an Olympic class athlete, you would know that you could not train or practice every minute of every day and be at your best for your competition. You would also know that you had to eat and you had to sleep well. And you had to have time for recovery, or you would not be at your best. And you know you have to get your mental game straight, or you can't compete and win. If we know that about Olympic class athletes, why do we think that those of us that are in companies are any different? Why do we believe that employees can perform and generate great results when we don't allow them to have all these other components that are going to make them strong performers? So what you're saying here about fathers is actually, I believe, at the end of the day, flat out good business practice.
2: That's so well put. I love the analogy of Olympic athletes. Um, and you're absolutely right. The um, the expectations that we have should be based on how human beings work best. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of mythologizing that has gone on around this. There's a There was this great post on Medium, I think it was by Dustin Moskovitz. He was one of the early founders of Facebook, um, and he said that he was mythologized and praised for uh, pushing, I believe it was the engineers, to work around the clock and these crazy, crazy hours. Um, And he said he only realized later on that if he had instead followed a 40-hour week with them and not expected crazy hours, that Facebook would have been more successful much sooner than it was Mm -hmm. um there are good reasons for this there are good mental reasons for this and um you know we do kind of glamorize this idea of oh i'm working around the clock um and it just doesn't make you better in fact might be a sign that you're less good at multitasking and less productive because it takes you so long Um, or that you just have too much on your plate that's not right for any one person. So, um, you know, organizing work based on how human beings work best is such an obvious thing to do. uh, And we have not been doing it well enough for decades and it's time to. That's
1: right. Well, I think it's um, Henry Ford that discovered the 40 hour week was the optimum performance. And he did it from a sheer, as I understand the story, sheer hard nose scientific data least number of accidents, greatest output, best results, greatest money at the end of the day. And I, I don't know that we're going back to a 40-hour work week, but we sure could get back to something a little more sane than what I see a lot of people doing at the moment.
2: Yeah, it's just that we need to take that idea and remove the part where you have to be in one location continuously every day from 8 to 5, if you have an hour off along the way or whatever it is, because um, because work Uh, Also, does not have to look like that madman idea that you're all in one place at the same time. You know, that that part of the Henry Ford era, which, like, it would be this one continuous block of time, um, that may have made sense at the time, but it was definitely designed around the expectation that the woman would be home for the day while the man was off doing the work. Uh, Now that we have both of us, we need to be able to take that idea of how much work you do, but also spread it out across the day based on what works best for you and still gets the job done for the company.
1: Yeah, I think it's different in the Henry Ford era when much of the work was labor and it was labor required from everybody simultaneously to run a factory floor. The kind of work that we're doing today, especially in the Western world, is a very different kind of work and therefore needs some different models than what we had at those moments in time.
2: Exactly. It's more based on our our minds now and our innovation and our creativity.
1: Okay, Josh, we've talked a little bit about policy in terms of... Having making sure that it's gender equal, that whatever you would provide to women, you would provide to men. And we've talked a little bit about making it equal for everybody, not just about children, but family leave, uh, whether it's caring for a sick spouse or for yourself or whatever it might be that you need in terms of caring. Do you have other policies that you advocate for?
2: Yes. So we need national paid family leave insurance. Um, You know, it's good for businesses to have Um, these policies. But the number one thing that we need as a society is to have a national system that works. We are, you know, the only, almost the only nation at all, and certainly the only industrialized nation, but literally almost the only nation that doesn't have a system to make sure that after a baby is born, it can have a parent at home and food on the table for at least a block of weeks. It's literally just us. Um, And, you know, they tiny little island countries. So um, when we look at that, uh, we need a national solution. And that needs to be through national paid family leave. Um, So I've done some work with um, some people in the Senate, and I've met uh, in Congress, hopefully, now that we have a new administration, there'll be a shot to get that going at a governmental level, because ultimately, it should not be up to businesses to solve this. Paid family leave is insurance, there's this tiny little payroll deduction that workers pay. And it goes into a fund, and then you get paid out of that fund when you need it. It's hugely popular in the states that have it, New York, California, New Jersey, Rhode Island. It's, it's growing in more and more states. Um, and it boosts businesses because it keeps people working. So we need that at, at that level. Um, what we need at the level of, of businesses um, is to, we need to certainly make sure that Paid family leave exists in the ways that they are able to afford it. And in the long run, they will come out ahead as a result of it. Um, But I also do support policies that ensure communication can improve. So, for example, I testified in New Hampshire um, in favor of a law that would, it's such a pathetic law to need, but it, it was a law that would ensure that employees have the legal right to request flexibility, even if they don't get it. You would think that would be obvious, but um, people are afraid to have these conversations and they're afraid that they will get fired if they even ask for this kind of thing. Right. So at the legal level and also at the business level, we need to have written policies that ensure that no one will be fired or demoted or in any other way punished for opening up about these challenges and trying to work something out. Um, and some of that needs to be done in writing so that people know for a fact that they are safe having these conversations with their managers, with HR, with benefits, with each other. Um, And then beyond that, it is more cultural change. And, you know, this is why what I do with businesses is I get in there and I help them change that cultural DNA by starting these workshops and having these conversations. Um, And over time, we can do this. It's up to us to fix this. If we don't, then You know, when our kids grow up, when my kids grow up, they will be in this same situation facing these same Mm -hmm. sexist structures. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really on us to fix this now.
1: It's time to do something about that. I can imagine that a number of people thinking about some national paid family leave insurance are freaking out. But if you were a manager, I would encourage you to go back and look at your data and just tell me how many children are born in your team and your group in any given year. And I think it'll surprise you how few people it is. And that makes this a much easier problem to tackle when you realize that in a smaller, in an, in an entity, it's not, we're not talking about hundreds of thousands of people. We're talking about something we can manage in the course of a year.
2: Oh yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, increases business profits um right. so there's really no negative against it in fact the major groups that used to fight against it that they said oh it's another regulation it'll hurt businesses um they've generally stopped because the data is in and it's great for businesses so right. you know i always tell people whether you're conservative or liberal or whatever there's no reason to be against this this is a family value that's good for business who's going to oppose that right um, so when you learn how these things work, you know, and you get past some of the the, the fear mongering, you come to find that sometimes there are solutions, uh, and this is one.
1: I love it. There's very few of those, it seems, in the world at the moment. So that sounds good to me. Okay, Josh, I have to ask you. You got one minute to answer this question. One of my favorite ones. I don't always get to. What takes you out of your comfort zone?
2: Interesting. I would say that. The challenges of being a parent um, constantly take you out of a comfort zone (laughs) because there's always going to be some kind of challenge that you didn't experience that is not in keeping with your personality, but is in keeping with your kid's personality that you don't know how to solve. And that's when it takes a village. That's when I turn to, you know, these Facebook groups I'm on with fellow dads. Um, or other people I know who are great parents. And I talk to them and I say, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what to do about this one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my kids managed to, in that sense, take me out of my comfort zone all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, that.
1: I love that. I have worked with one CEO who believes that parenting is the best training for leadership that you're ever going to get. And I think you just echoed that because parenting does take you out of your comfort zone if you tune into it and do something about it. Mm. All right, Josh, fabulous conversation. Uh, Fortunately, we're out of time. My guest today, Josh Loves, the book that we've been talking about is All In, How Our Work First Culture Fails Dads, Families, and Businesses, and How We Can Fix It Together. I think there are a couple of emphases in there that's really important. You can learn more about Josh's data, as well as his practice and the ways in which he supports companies and the policies he advocates for on his website at joshloves.com, spelled J O S H levs.com. Join us for an episode, another episode next week on getting out of your comfort zone. And if you'd like to hear more about this theme, join our brand new subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com.
0: Thank you for joining us today.